Hello and welcome to another episode of the RPG Academy Show and Tell. Show and Tell are the episodes where we bring on cool guests to talk about the cool things that they're working on. And tonight, our cool guest is Richard Kurtz Landry. And the cool thing we're going to be talking about is Descent into Midnight. Ah, yes. It even has just like when you say Descent into Midnight, it just, it feels so like ominous. It just, <laughs> it's, it's just there. It's, it's so good. I love it. So, but anyway, oh, Richard, thank you for joining me tonight. I'm glad to be here. I just found out what episode number this is going to be. And, uh, all I have to say is nice. <laughs> So nice. You are blessed and honored to be on Show and Tell episode 69. Mm -hmm. It almost went to Grant Howitt with heart, but you know, he missed out with yep, that. Yeah, sure did. <laughs> oh, oh, well. <laughs> so we got that out of our system All so we right. can now be mature. <laughs> so, Richard, let us, for those who don't know, I think most of us do at this point. <laughs> you're the you're one of the brains behind Descent to Midnight, mm -hmm. RPG designer, origami artist. That too. Yeah, it's so um <laughs> so much stuff. So before we really dig too deep into it, mm -hmm. why don't you give us the brief give us the brief overview. What is Descent to Midnight? Okay. So, high level, it is a Powered by the Apocalypse game about aquatic aliens, so sea creatures, who are also psionic on this alien world, protecting their community from an otherworldly threat. Uh, that is the, the very, very, like, tip of the iceberg of this game. And there's there's so much more. <laughs> Tip of the iceberg. All right, our first, you know, nautical reference. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So yeah, there is a Descent of the Midnight. It's one of those games that I've heard. Just whenever you like go into a room, you just kind of like you're at a convention. You say Descent mm -hmm. to Midnight. You have like there's like five heads that'll pop up and kind of look at you. <laughs> It it's like any time that you mention Grave of the Fireflies and and people go oh that movie destroyed me um it, yeah it, yeah hopefully we're not that dreary but uh but goodness yes um I, I know exactly what you're talking about no I think it's 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 interesting because at this point I, I know so many people who know about this game mm -hmm. and it's just it seems to be at least in the RPG circles that I find myself in. It's in that it's in their zeitgeist. Like everybody knows what Descent to Midnight is, but I don't think everybody really knows what Descent to Midnight is, and I don't think we're going to know until we get that finished product. I mean, we're we're getting there. <laughs> we're getting there, and that's one of the reasons that you're gonna you're on tonight is mm -hmm. because you all have the Kickstarter for Descent to Midnight is coming down the road shortly. Oh yeah, when is that happening? So that is going to be February fifteenth. So um, hopefully. You know, mid-February is a good, it's a good time. Um, and we're actually going to be wrapping the Kickstarter within, I think, about two weeks or so of the uh, the third anniversary of the tweet that started it all. Really? Yeah. I was just looking it up to be like, when was this? And um, So this is three years in the making. Yep. So you think about it. There's a lot that has gone into Descent to Midnight. 
It is. It's not just you either. You're two. You've Taylor Taylor Brash and then Rich Howard. Mm-hmm. You've been working on this with you. But one of the things that I am really interested in, because we all know about, we can all read about the game and get the game when it comes to Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. But I want to know how this game came to be. Okay, I, I I will tell you. I will I will literally pull it up here on my phone. Um, so I have a tweet from. January, March 24th of 2017. And it reads, guys, dot, 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 at Leviathan Files, at Umber Walker, and at Monkey Pie Quint. Does Monster Hearts have a sea creature playbook? Imagine, jock dude bro named Bro Sidon. Wait. And that was the that was the beginning of the conversation that led to this game. And I have to give a huge shout out to... Um, uh, v and Haley of Story Brewers. Right around that time was when they came out with Alas for the Awful Sea. Um, and like, it was this, it, it's this gorgeous game about like sea creatures and like, well, not necessarily sea creatures, but just like this, this mysticalness of the sea and like hard political times and the, the, the like Scottish Hebrides. And it's a super atmospheric, super cool game. Um, and I started talking about that and then Rich came into the conversation and was like, wait, what is this? I need to know more about this. And, and that sort of led us down the path of creating this game. So did you all, did you all know each other at that point? I don't know if I knew Rich very well at that point. Um, I think my first Akatacon, uh, which getting back to the RPG Academy, right? Like it, it is, yeah, it is, it is the thing that sort of brought all this together and, and allowed it to happen. Um, so the first Akatacon that I went to, I didn't know anybody, right? I, I barely had a Twitter. And I listened to all these these podcasts um, on the network and everything, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to this convention, I'm going to fly halfway across the country, I don't know anybody, and I'm just going to make a leap of faith that I'm going to have fun. And it was great every day. And because it's like that kind of intimate setting of just a couple of hundred people, like I kept seeing the same people around and having a good time, but I had that social anxiety of like, does anybody actually want to hang out with me? Is everybody just being super nice and, and not wanting to hurt my feelings by, by not telling me that, you know, they don't actually want to hang out with me. And we get to the, the Sunday game. So the last game of the convention and Darcy Ross was running this, um, this, uh, D and D second edition, um, planetary express. It was a pun in the title. It was amazing. Um, and, uh, and Taylor was in that game and, um, like long story short, um, we ended up hanging out afterwards and then becoming friends on Twitter. And so we kind of knew each other. And, um, like I was telling you, uh, before we started recording, um, so, uh, whelmed, which, uh, Caleb G and Rich Howard, uh, did the first season of together, um, which is about young justice. It's super great podcast. Um, but like that, I think is how I started following rich. Um, and so we sort of met online from Twitter and then it turns out that we live like 15 minutes from each other. And, uh, and yeah. And so like we, we kind of just all started talking to each other on Twitter and that conversation was what got everything started. That's, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's a testament to, I think, I think all three of you, I Mm -hmm. think you're, you're all's friendship 
and that the the type of people that you are, you can just like gravitate towards these strangers and just be like, hey, you know what? Let's go. You all are like minded. <laughs> We're going to make something. And I think that's awesome. And so, but one of the things that I'm still confused about, mm-hmm. all right. So okay. I know Rich. Rich is obsessed with the ocean and the water. Yes. Okay. That, that, that makes sense. Okay. So Taylor, mm-hmm. Taylor is a avid fisherman yes and i almost think that he just made this game to come up with weird sea creatures that he could catch and grill here's the funny thing he's in the process of writing a game literally called this is a game about fishing so (laughs) i mean that that tells you a lot about where he's coming from (laughs) (laughs) i know right and now okay so where do you where do you fit into this then okay so um for me uh again the the conversation that got it started was was literally a bad bad pun um which which i thought they would appreciate uh and apparently they did um but like my my sort of gaming background falls into the you know what pretty similar to a lot of people right um D and pathfinder and you know d20 whatever whatever um some hard sci-fi in high school um like not nary a hint of a story game unless you count the um the like telling stories on the bus ride across the city in third grade with some friends of mine um which looking back on it now it's kind of like okay that that was basically story gaming um but you know i i came up through that sort of traditional sort of um you know games and everything um and so Listening to all the podcasts that I found through the RPG Academy Network um, and and finding all these indie games was really eye-opening for me because it was like all of a sudden there are these mechanized ways to create player agency in a way that um, was, was very different from what I was used to. Um, and so it got all those kind of creative juices flowing of like, my brain was just going a million miles a a minute of like all these interesting ideas that like, if I tried to reskin D and D to do all of these things would have been just awful heartbreakers. And even back then I knew enough that like, I'm not going to do that. Right. Like I, I, I had seen the D 20 splat books and gone, okay, yeah, this is, this is fine if it's your thing, but it's, it's not mine. I don't want to spend a bunch of time doing this. And, and so for me, like I was just kind of the weird idea guy, right. Of sort of synthesizing, um, the, the vision that Richard had floating around in his head for two decades, trying to find the, you know, he, he likes to describe the game as all of his nonsense, uh, you know, bundled into one thing, right? It's like kind of aquatic superheroes and community and like spirituality and like all these things. Um, and also doing like cool biotech stuff and his marine science things and, and all that. And like Taylor um, is Taylor is one of the people like who... I look up to for just the sheer um, expressiveness that he can get with like a small amount of text, right? Um, like if if you look at a lot of his games, they are they're poetry, right? Like they they evoke a feeling really really well. And his, um, I mean, I don't know if you've ever like actually hung out with Taylor, but he is just exuberant right like he he loves the world he loves the the things that he loves very much and like nature and and 
you know, like fishing and, and these cool fish and weird things. Like he's all about that. And so for me, I was sort of the, like the, the ping pong ball going back and forth between the two of those things and trying to make sense of them and fit them together. Um, and sort of like gluing those things into something that's sort of like a, a, a whole work. Right. Um, I, I think, you know, I am probably the most like conservative is, is a loaded word, but like I, I have like, I think the most sort of, um, grounded is really not a great word for it either. But like, I, I, I bring sort of that, like, okay, let's take these things that are like wildly creative and like visionary and then bring them together and sort of glue them together in a way that like is approachable. You're that you're the mom of the group. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> I totally understand exactly what you're saying right now. <laughs> yeah. Somebody has to take them down from eleven every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, and you know, like this this game would not be what it is without all three of us. You know, the the initial vision that that Rich had for it, and sort of that grounding in like the the scientific knowledge and the spirituality, with with Taylor having sort of just that like that joy for for life and like you know keeping and and pushing to keep the game like very positive um, when um, you know it it can be very scary because of the nature of the threat that you create together, um, you know like it's it's been really fun to like to see all of those things meld together. And then with my sort of just like weird ideas here and there, and then bringing it all and sort of synthesizing it into something that like is short to the point, but also really allows their voices to shine through in it. Um, which, which is really important. Right. Yeah. I think it's a, I mean, I love your all's dynamic that you all have, (laughs) and I have to go back to something. I actually have gotten to hang out with Taylor once. Mm -hmm at a catacon a couple years back and this this moment is will, will always stay with me because he was one of the nicest people mm-hmm. because there was i was super excited to this was before i was with the rpg academy mm-hmm. and everything so I'm, I'm just an attendee and a fan and i'm like really excited to play my game run my mm-hmm. game and one of my players didn't show up and I was only, it was only going to be three people anyway. Mm-hmm. So he didn't, and I'm like, oh, I don't really know if I can run this. With. Mm-hmm. And then, so I'm like just asking around and Taylor like graciously is like, I, I could just look like he, he wanted to go do something else. Mm-hmm. Like he wanted to go get some food and some other stuff, but he's like, you know what? I'm going to play in your game so you can run it. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, and it wasn't just like a, hum- a humdrum. Like I'm just going to sit here and play. Mm-hmm. No, he brought like his A yes. game to it and that was just like it just was so meaningful and then he's like oh i'm like yeah he's like yeah yeah i'm i'm working on you know designing this game and i was just like all right you can have my money right now right (laughs) because he was a testament of his character and Mm -hmm. i really did appreciate that and it's funny that you because i did i got to hang out with him and it was Mm -hmm. still it was just such a it's so nice yes he he is a delightful person to be around and and the same goes for rich like that there's something about, I think, the three of us that meshes really well. And, and even when, like, we disagree about things or, you know, like, we have different viewpoints, like, it, it's great because, like, I know that at the end of the day, even if we have, like, wildly different opinions about something, like, we're going to be able to work through that and find something that works for all of us and, like... And that we will still love each other at the end of the day, you know? And, and that's really important, I think, 
is like having creators that you can, you know, collaborators that, that you can work with and you trust to, to put forth something that, you know, you're all going to be happy with and that like, that, that are there for you and have your back, you know, like just in life, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I think it, from what I know about the the mechanics of this game and what this game is supposed to evoke mm-hmm. at the table, I think your all's relationship shines through in the game because if I it this game is about it's not just the oceans, it's emotions. And yes. so that's kinda like mm-hmm. I think that's so that's so key. And so let's go ahead and let's just let's talk about this game. Let's talk about this game then. <laughs> yeah. So if you were if we were to sit at the table and play Descent at the at Descent to Midnight. Can you give me a rundown of what is a what's a session of Descent into Midnight going to be like? My I think the first word that comes to mind is intense. And not even necessarily um like, you know, grim dark and oh no, you know, kind of stuff. It but it's a powered by the apocalypse game, right? Its roots are in games like like masks. Um you know, where you, you have this group of people who are coming together to do this thing to protect other people and are sort of figuring out their identities, right? Our game is a little bit more about the characters' relationships to each other and the community at large. But that's that's still there in its DNA and the sort of openness of the the engine that it's built upon as far as player agency and, and giving people control so that they can build investment is super key. So, you know, at, at a con game, right, which is um, the majority of actually the, the games that we've run um, have been one shots. You, you sit down, you look through, you, you pick your, your playbook, which um, is more of like a story arc than your sort of like, Oh, well, these are the things that you can do. I mean, there's a bit of that, um, but it's more about like, what is the, the story that this playbook is trying to tell? You know, you, you, you decide like, what does your character look like? Right. Which it could be anything. It's literally anything. We've had everything from a tiny little plankton to uh, a Leviathan, the size of a city to uh, colonial organisms of, you know, like hive minds to the embodiment of echolocation to uh, the sentient membrane between the physical world and the echo, which is sort of the dimension that the physical world is distilled out of. Your character can be literally anything. That's that. I'm all about meta concepts, <laughs> so. and and that's where the game starts, right? Like that's where that's where you dive in, um, and then from there um, you build the city together, right? This community that you are going to be protecting, um, and with that, essentially, like everybody's adding details. You're building all these things together. You're talking about like, okay, well, if if the four players at your table are a tiny plankton, a leviathan-sized whale, you know, uh, a, a ghost from the echo, and um, piece of coral that was genetically altered to now be a you know a golem uh, that has been deactivated and is now just sort of like wandering around learning about the world what does that mean about the kind of city that you live in right and so we go into building the city from there and then once you've done all of that one of my favorite parts of the game is actually something that i came up with which you know uh, i'm i'm not going to toot my own horn but i think it's pretty cool 
is uh, this sort of guided visualization of this meditation that we do at the beginning of gameplay um, for each session and then at the end where these characters, one of the big features of the game is that they are psionic, right? So you don't have to worry about language or things like that. They're all communicating through the echo, through this psionic sense. Um, And these particular characters, the player characters, are part of a group of guardians who are extraordinarily well connected to each other um, such that they have a a place in the echo that sort of reflects their emotions, their mindsets, and sort of where they're at that they can project their consciousness into. Um, and they can meet there and talk with each other whenever they want. And we call that the sanctuary. And so at the beginning of each session, um, we take a moment, we all take a deep breath, um, you can close your eyes if you want to, and then the the guide describes in general sort of what that space looks like, sort of the the general tone or, or timber of that space. And then you go around the table, and each person describes what their character is bringing to that space and what they're like experiencing and what they're sharing with everyone else. And so each session is bookended by a contemplation of what is the headspace of their character, right? What are they going through? Because it's it's a game about adventure, right? You can go around and you can do things and you can fight giant monsters or you can, you know, like, uh, you know, rescue people from a natural disaster or, you know, investigate something or, or whatever. But a lot of the mechanics really are centered on what is the emotional state of your character? What are the consequences of having to, to fight this corruption that is threatening your community? Um, and how do you deal with that? Right? Like, how do you deal with the fact that you had to enact violence against something, um, to, to protect someone? How do you deal with, um, the temptation to reach too far for power to be able to protect those you love? Like all all of these things are sort of like reflected in this space. And so you give people a way to talk about that. Um, and it's, it's, built right into the system that you have to reflect on your character's journey each session in a way that let's face it. I, I love going to a con game doing a, you know, a a meat grinder module and dungeon crawl classics and slaying all the goblins and ended up with some treasure or something. But the, the experience that you get out of that and the joy that you get out of that is overcoming a mechanical obstacle in a lot of, you know, a lot of times. Um, and, and you can role play in, in any game really. Um, but the mechanics of that are you're overcoming a challenge, right? Um, of course, but with this, we're sort of trying to mechanize the, the connection between people and community, um, and, and really sort of look at, okay, well, what is it like to be a plant who was genetically engineered to take over another city and poison, you know, it's, it's, uh, food supply or something and kill everyone and everything in it, having come back from that and reclaimed yourself and, and found sentience and gone, this is my past. This is what I was built to do. 
I don't want to do that anymore. I want to protect people and knowing that you have the capacity to do these awful things and struggling with that and going, okay, well, now there is this threat and there's a community that I love and how do I, how do I balance this part of myself with who I want to be, right? Like that's, that's just one playbooks arc of like, you know, how do you do that? And you're doing that as I'm a plant. I was bioengineered yeah. to be a weapon and I'm hanging out with the embodiment of a weird concept and a ghost from another dimension and, you know, uh, an eel that has a hundred eye stalks and teeth everywhere. Like there's, there's such a, an opportunity for you to get outside of your own head and outside of your own, like, um, frame of reference and experience to really just explore, like, what do those relationships look like? Yeah, I think that's interesting because one of the problems that you, you have so often at the table is getting everybody to to feel like they are a, a group of people mm -hmm. together. And so having something that is actually in-game mechanically that is all about community, I think is going to absolutely influence the the in real life the IRL like experience mm -hmm. of the players at the table. And we had a we had a panel um the earlier this year where we talked about how can we be more empathetic at the table mm -hmm. in and in, in listening. You as one of the the designers on Descent to Midnight, I consider an an expert on this then. All right. So Lord help us all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Within the game, mm -hmm. do you all have um, mechanics that then uh, allow people to to interact together? Oh yeah, I, I mean, so again, like a lot of the the game started as sort of a let's take the best parts of masks and the best parts that we know of of headspace that work for the concept and you know, some of the old, like, cool traditional game stuff so we can do our cool, like, biotech and stuff and, and throw those together. And then we quickly realized that, like, equipment lists are basically the exact opposite of what we want for the game um, and threw that out. Um, but, like, you know, so similar to the way that a lot of the moves in Masks and a lot of Apocalypse World games um, will have narrative triggers or consequences that force you to interact with other people um, and ask like, you know, um, do you say yes or no to this? Right. And then exploring from there. Um, we, we do that. Um, and you know, the, there is a, a, you know, acting as a team move that sort of like lets you build up some resources that you can spend, um, which is, not quite the same as team and masks, um, but like, um, does a similar sort of thing, but a, a lot of it is not necessarily mechanical. It's just sort of like the setting that you're in. Um, so I, I know I mentioned the, the sanctuary, right. As being a place that you could project your consciousness and, and go to, but like these characters are super linked to each other right like they they know what's going on at all times with everyone else in the group including like what people are feel, feeling what they're seeing what they're hearing what they're experiencing if they want to share that and so there's there's permission at the table and it's it's encouraged at the table to talk through sort of 
what's going on with your character in their head and, you know, the, the consequences for um, a failed role or, you know, a, a, a consequence on a, on a seven to seven to nine is often like you take a condition. Well, the conditions are things like despairing or isolation or emotional states. And so they sort of prompt you to say, okay, well, I went up against a, a big crab creature and it grabbed me with its pincers and uh, it it really hurts. Okay, well, that's what's happening in sort of the like physical part of the narrative. But the consequence for that is not necessarily going to be, oh no, I lost hit points. It's going to be something like, well, I am feeling really isolated now because my friends are all over there taking care of the other you know, a uh, blighted creature and I'm stuck here and I can't help them or I'm afraid that, you know, they don't care about me because, you know, this corruption that has sort of like seeped into my psyche and is hanging out there is like telling me this. It's the voice inside my head telling me that I don't matter. Right. And like, those are all conversations that are happening because you failed a role to try and punch a crab in the face. Yes. So <laughs> I th- I think it's it's so important and I've realized this in the last year. It is so important to have these above the table conversations mm-hmm. about how you want your character to feel, what your character's intentions are, where they want to be like in the next few actions mm-hmm. or the next session. And it really does it makes your character feel more fleshed out and real. Yeah, and I I think the there is a there is a trend, I think, that I've seen or, or a thought that I've seen where people see people who are professional performers playing tabletop role-playing games, right? People who are professional actors, and that's what they do. And they are in character 95% of the time, and they nail it, right? And they're, uh, yeah. they're emoting, and they're, they're, they are telling a whole story just through the inflection and their facial expression and the way that they're delivering these lines and the things that they choose to say in dialogue. But that's what they do for a living, right? Or, or, you know, these are, these are people who are very good at that style of play, but there are other styles of play as well. And, you know, you, you could play descent into midnight as a very sort of straight, adventure of this is the thing that I am doing and it's very sort of like um practical and down to earth and and very like okay I am doing this thing I succeed at this I do the thing I take this condition because I am afraid and leave it at that but it's the game itself is trying to start conversations uh you know those meta conversations about where your character's at where their head's at and like I said at the end of the session and the beginning of the session, you're, you're looking at a, you know, describing what their headspace is and where they're at in a quasi physical way. Like, okay, you know, maybe they've got a garden in the sanctuary that sort of represents like who they are and the way that they feel about the city. And at the end of this, part of it is kind of blighted and decayed because their faith is shaken or, or what have you. Right. But we, we really try and, and push that, way of visualizing emotions and your connection to other people, because that's really what the game is about, you know? So 
we, I mean, we, we speak about emotions. I mean, you're experiencing emotions all the time <laughs> at the table. There's all sorts of, it's not just, it, it, emotions are what we, we do. I mean, it's mm-hmm. all the time what we're feeling, but how in the game, so almost more of a, if you could give us a, I don't know if it's a GM tip or a descent <laughs> to midnight tip, but when you're sitting at the table as the guide, mm-hmm. what are some ways that we can, we can evoke certain emotions from players that we want. Uh, well, the the number one tip, and I think this is this is pretty much universal across most role playing games, right? If if you are okay giving people narrative control, is you know you you do the prompted open ended question, right? So you say uh, you approach the, the abyssal trench, right? And it's, and you, you set the scene and you say it's, um, you know, it's dark and, uh, you know, where, where the vibrant colors and life of the city is behind you here. There is just, you know, the, the dull pale green of, of, uh, you know, aquatic fungus trying to survive on the meager light that, you know, comes down from above. You say, okay, that's, that's the scene. And you say, in the echo you feel you feel a tremor of something approaching and as you you are there at the edge you see something reach up from below and then you say what is it because inevitably your players will as a group come up with something that is 10 times more terrifying or or interesting because it's something that came from them, and so they are invested in it. And so even when they say, oh, well, it's a giant clownfish with weird, you know, mineral makeup, uh, so it's got a clown face, and uh, instead of a red nose, it's got a red uh, blowfish that's sort of like, uh, that's, that's sitting there eating the snot out of its nose, and so it looks like a big clown face. And you go, okay, that's not what I was expecting, right? But then immediately... It's good, right? And you go, yeah. okay, like, this is the weirdest nonsense I've ever heard of. But then you go, okay, that comes out. And what is so terrifying about it? And you just dig deeper and you 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 pick at the points for, like, the tone that you want to set. And they'll fill in the details, you know. And 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 again, when you are, are running the game and you, you know, and, and someone triggers a move and then the consequence is, you know, uh, you lose control or something or um you know uh you put an ally in danger or something you just frame it in what would make you feel a certain way or how does that make you feel and that is is really the way that the story advances and you build those connections because you can say you know what happens you know and it's like uh okay well i fall over or you know, I get caught under a rock or whatever. But if you ask, how does that make you feel? Or, you know, um, or what is it about this thing that terrifies you so much? Or what is it about this thing that reminds you of your homeland that is, you know, uh, a wasteland now? Those are the kinds of things that get at the emotion of the experience and that sort of build those connections. Um, Because like, you can say I get caught under a rock, right? Or, oh no, I'm caught. Or, oh no, this happens. And it doesn't necessarily, 
it doesn't build on that snowball of emotion, right? Like we, we, we talk about, um, in powered by the apocalypse games, there's this concept of the, the snowball, right? So like you do one thing, you, you have a consequence from that. And then because of that, there's another move that's triggered and it rolls and it rolls and it rolls and it expands and gets bigger and bigger and bigger and more powerful and events move because of that. Right. So you fail to pick the lock. So a guard shows up, well, the guard shows up and then you fight the guard and then, uh, he calls somebody on the radio before he goes down and then all these other things. Right. And it keeps moving and it keeps the story moving forward. Well, with descent into midnight, we're trying to do that, but it's all sort of trying to to build an emotional snowball, right? Of like, what are the consequences of these things that are happening in the emotional state and the mental state of these characters and the relationship to each other and the community where like, okay, you, you, you killed the blighted creature, but one of the consequences of that is X. So, you know, how does how does enacting violence in this way affect your mental state and how does that affect the community around you? And then that opens up a whole new conversation of maybe it's like, okay, well I'm really sad about this or this brings up a bad memory. And so I go to this place where X is true or I go here to try and find solace. And like it, it opens up these, these really poignant conversations about that, that really get to the heart of who the character is instead of what they're doing. If that makes sense. It does, and I think that I'm a huge fan of giving players agency. <laughs> but what I think, what you, which I, I love it, and I think one of the things that you just described, mm-hmm. and it's not inherent, it's not intuitive to do what you just described from a game master after what's been taught to mm-hmm. us for for so many years. Yeah. But it just makes so much sense because you don't know what the player is thinking. Like, you know what you're thinking, but giving that over to them after you've kind of set the scene up oh, just really does allow for the the, the biggest impact because mm-hmm. they just came up with it because that's what they were thinking about. Well, and, and you know, I <laughs> – uh, so over the holidays, um, my wife and some friends of ours uh, went to a, a theater production and um, it was a – a a play where everything goes wrong and there's only three actors but they're trying to do a christmas carol and so at one point they needed a tiny tim and they said that and everybody in the row just starts laughing at pointing at me and i'm just like oh no because i'm there like i'm on the center aisle the the actor you know the the actor on the stage just takes one look and like locks eyes with me and i'm like well this is happening and and so they pulled me up on stage and we did a whole tiny tim thing and it did a god bless us everyone and it was it was fantastic right um but but the point being that like when when you build the kind of energy that is permissive for people to interact with the story and interact with the world um it it builds upon itself um i i know um, there was a, a really good interview. I, th- I think it was on the RPG Academy talking with, I think it was Senda, um, about like GMing tips for conventions. Um, yes, that was, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I remember very specifically one of the things she said was like, unless it is like actually abhorrent or problematic, encourage people with their ideas, right? Because even if it's, even if it's not great, you want to build that trust of people can contribute things and what they say is important because that builds investment and 
there's almost always a way that you can bring that around, right? And and tie it in and make callbacks and sort of it it all ends up enriching the story if you can say, you know, yes in a directed way to two things you know yeah the i mean it's so it's i think it's so i think it's so important i think that's something that descent to midnight is bringing um is just giving gms the tools to do something that they necessarily wouldn't do is just hand that over to the player because that's literally what you're <laughs> supposed to do in the game yeah so I mean, you better be doing it and that and again like we i don't think that we are unique in doing that um but you know because powered by the apocalypse like the, the a lot of move structure is based around giving the player a choice of which consequences they would like to engage with um mm-hmm. you know depending on the move um but i i think the combination of the absolute freedom with the characters um together with really delving into the emotional states and sort of the like digging into who the character is and the way that they're brain or their their mind works and their relationships with other people works um together with that really sort of opens it up for conversations that you're you're not going to get in many other games you know absolutely so one of the other things that um it, we would not this would not be a conversation about descent to midnight if we didn't at least mention the creatures that can potentially be <laughs> created in this you, you've kind of alluded to them mm-hmm. but real real quickly then i just uh, some question for you so i want to know what is the weirdest thing that you've ever seen created at the table or created for the game i mean the so shout out to uh to to neil um who so when we talk about the game and you will hear us talk about this all the time when we're talking about the weird stuff you can be um the embodiment of echolocation that was neil and and like it really worked um we've had gosh we've we've had um i was not in this game there was a game at gen con in 2019 where each of the the five players because there there are five stats in the game they are again keyed to like an emotional state or like a a uh, that sort of trait, not necessarily like a physical trait or whatever. And they decided that in their world building, each of the player characters was an ocean that had housed a city that was the embodiment of one of the stats. So it was like the ocean of hope and the ocean of community and the ocean of altruism, you know, and it was like, you, 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 you're sitting there and you're going, Okay, so I'm I'm putting on my GM hat and I'm going. Okay, so we're gonna sit here and we're gonna we're gonna do character creation and then we're gonna do uh, the setting building and then we're gonna do links to figure out how the characters are connected to each other and then we're gonna build the corruption um, and then we're gonna do the sanctuary and 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 sort of have that like guided experience together and then I'm supposed to run an adventure in this. And I was just there sitting there thinking about this going, how do you run an adventure for five sentient oceans? Oh, and one of them was dead. Because I think, there were, that's right, I think there were only like four players. And so one of the oceans had died. And you're like, okay. okay. And, and the weird thing is that you could actually do that and it could work because you're defining what the corruption is. And the, the moves are abstract enough that you can, 
you could have an adventure where these four sentient oceans are going through the echo and, you know, like looking into other dimensions to, to find, you know, the, the ghost of their brethren ocean or something. Uh, and, and it would, it would work just fine. Yeah. I mean, that's the really abstract stuff, but we've also had, you know, colony organisms. Um, like one of the ones that's, I wouldn't say the most unique cause it's come up a couple of times, but like is one of my favorites is the, um, the like school of fish where there is a certain amount of sentience in each of the smaller fish. And then, you know, or there's this idea that like, it's a hive mind that can send out pieces of itself. And then it always brings up the question of, okay, well, what happens if that piece stays out there for long enough? Or are there other schools of fish or other colonies with these organisms? What happens when you merge them together? What happens when parts of them die? What happens when new ones are created? All these things. And you you just go down the rabbit hole, you know, um, and you can spend a whole session literally just building out what in the world does it mean for these characters to exist in this world. Um, and, and honestly, like character creation is one of my favorite parts of the game and the, the setting creation because you walk away from it and you go the crystal that was above the, the salt lake, you know, uh, that, um, the underwater salt lake that the whales went into to sing their last song. And like those, that short sentence conveys such a powerful emotional package because you built all these things together and you've imbued it with meaning as a group. Um, and it's not just like this, this idea of, Oh, here, here's this like fun thing that we came up with. It's, it's intimately tied with, uh, or, you know, tied to the characters that you've created because you create the characters first and then you build out the world that they inhabit and that they, by, by their very nature of you creating them first and building the world around them, the space that they occupy means something, um, in a way that, a lot of games don't, right? Where if you're playing a high fantasy adventure, sure, you can you can make your character, you know, the secret prince of the the kingdom or something and yes, they are important to the world. You can absolutely do that, but it's not necessarily built to do that for everyone every time, you know. I know 13th Age uh has like a what's one unique thing about your character or something like that, um which is an, an interesting way to do it. But we've sort of like, we've really, really pushed that. Yeah, and I think that's, whenever I hear so much about the character creation in this world building process for Descent to Midnight all the time after people have played it. <laughs> I know after like, you, you see after Gen Con mm -hmm. and then after a Catacon, it's just all Twitter's just full of people talking about these crazy characters and worlds. So mm -hmm. it's it's so cool to see. And so with that said, though more people are going to be able to see it because we kind of t we yeah. mentioned it at the beginning. The Kickstarter is coming. So can you give us okay. a rundown of what to expect from the Kickstarter? Oh, gosh. Um, I have essentially, as the project lead, been responsible for getting all the disparate pieces together. I've, I've sort of been acting like a producer for, or, mm -hmm. or maybe a stage manager, however you want to look at it. Like, for for the game um especially as we've moved towards the kickstarter and part of that has been making sure that we can um collect all the art and get all the art that we've had made that we've commissioned um just sort of out of pocket for the first couple of years of development 
and uh, we've we've actually brought on a real art director, which is fantastic, um, Paolomi. We we cannot we have to stop this conversation because your all's art that has been posted so far <laughs> is absolutely fantastic, and you've been alluding to on Twitter like, oh, I just got this new cool piece oh, yeah. of art, and then you don't post it. Oh and well, then because I, like, I I can't. They are they are sketches, and so so rest assured that for the Kickstarter we will be. Um, we will be posting uh, the art that we have. We've been working really hard um, to get the book cover art done so that we can have, you know, we can, we can show people basically what the book is going to look like um, as, as far as we know so far. And I mean, we have, I think we've worked with five or maybe six artists so far um, doing promo art um, that we've used sort of like as the, the avatars on Twitter and Facebook and, and talking about the game and, and putting, uh, you know, placeholder art on the playbooks and all that. But, um, in the end, basically we, we sort of narrowed it down to, uh, the, the two artists whose styles we felt like kind of really, really matched the tone of the game and that we could afford. Um, and, uh, who, you know, like we, we really felt like had captured what we had in our heads for it. Um, so I actually, uh, one of the, the two pieces that we, we got from, um, from Devin, I commissioned myself cause I was just like, no, I, I personally want to see this thing you know, happen and put it on, you know, my wall at home. Um, but, but yeah, I mean like, uh, Taylor Livingston and, and Devin are fantastic artists and we are going to be prominently like plastering the art that we have from them everywhere that we, we can put it. Um, the, the current plan is to have art for all of the playbooks, um, and then the cover art done plus the art that we've, we've had just sort of the, the concept art, uh, up to this point. And we, we've got some interesting stretch goals in mind, but I can't talk about those yet because as of the, as of the recording date of this, uh, we, we do not have the finalized details for those. Um, but in what I can say in general is that um, the the current plan is to uh, avoid Kickstarter post Kickstarter hell, which is uh, generating lots and lots and lots of extra content or things that um, have to be fulfilled and will delay production and all that kind of stuff. Yes. So one of the very early conversations that we had about this was we are only going to do stretch goals for things that we can do um, that add value for everyone, you know, that, that we can get to everyone, um, and won't delay production. And, um, you know, that, that I think will be fun for us to do and that we can do at, for a reasonable time commitment and, and money commitment. So, you know, we're, we've been talking about doing things like, um, doing some sort of features about like the, the making of, or the concept art from the game. Um, we've been talking about, it would be really cool to do like a little coloring book or something. You know, there, there's, there's lots of, of things that we've talked about. And I, at the time of recording, I cannot say exactly what things will if, be there. If, if you um, do a coloring book, I'm getting one for all my kids. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like honestly the plan for that would be to do a, a digital version so that people could print it at home. 
and and again, the idea with that is the more digital rewards that we can offer or, um, you know, like just small things that we can put in with the book that we can ship with them, um, the more that we can get them out to people and everyone can get them and everybody gets that value. The, the big stretch goal um, that I'd really love to talk about, I, I literally, I, I just can't. Um, but it, it will be there, hopefully, on the, uh, on the campaign and, and people will know what I'm talking about. I'm excited now. <laughs> I'm super excited. So, Richard, have you all set any pledge levels yet so folks kind of know what to expect when they get to the Kickstarter? Yes. So uh, one of the tiers I'm most excited about, obviously, is the the $2 like thank you tier, right? Because that's the thing that we can have our friends and family who have no idea what a role-playing game is um, but want to go, yeah, I, I support you, uh, can do. Um, the cool thing about that, though, is um, because most of the stretch goals are going to be digital rewards, we decided that, hey, like... If you back us, if you help us out, we can get you those things. So uh, some of the things that we're looking at would be like a digital coloring book from uh, some of our artists who uh, uh, have done some really cool art that um, we we want to explore and, and do a little bit more with. And then... Uh, I really want a coloring book. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, here's the thing is, is as soon as we brought up that idea... Rich was like, "Well, I need that for my kids, so we have yep. to do this." And I'm like, "Okay, well, we'll 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 put that in the first stretch goal." Yeah. Or, yeah. Also, I like it that I like it that you will, you said you're going to do those digitally, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So just just print them out. You have yeah, infinite exactly. coloring books now. Mm-hmm. That'd yeah. be perfect because you know. Yeah. We were actually um, we were kind of inspired a little bit with that part of it from um, there's a. a squid scientist uh sarah mac attack on twitter um who was talking about a like a cool science coloring book of squid and i saw that and was like oh well we 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 have to do that because we have cool aquatic art and uh and yeah so that's that's the the two dollar level is the thank you you'll be thanked on the website and the book and all that um so the first tier where you get the the book itself um we're doing a pdf level at 20 bucks and again everything Everything includes everything below, right, and all the other tiers. So for that one, you get um, the PDF of the book. Um, we're working with um, with Ree, who's the the GM of the Magpies podcast, um, to do the accessibility for it. Um, so we are we are putting in you know the the work to make sure that it'll work with screen readers and all that. And then uh, moving on up the chain, we've got the uh, the standard edition, which is going to be uh, forty bucks. And that's going to be a hardcover with a uh, color illustration uh, on the outside by Devin George. We we just got that art in and and have seen some mock-ups and it's fantastic. I keep seeing you all post on Twitter mm-hmm. about the talking about how cool the art is, but then yes. you don't post it. No. And it's just like, <laughs> why are you doing this? to us uh i mean because it's effective i guess yes yes it is. <laughs> we, that means we get to savor it more the anticipation builds mm-hmm. um and devin's actually going to be doing uh a bunch of the interior art we're looking at um doing like the chapter headings or some some full page illustrations within the book in color and some of the higher tiers will actually let you uh give some some thoughts or bullet points uh for things to be included in those so we're really excited about that 
And it's, you know, the interior of the book is going to be in color. Uh, a lot of the illustrations um, are going to be in sort of a naturalist style. Um, Taylor Livingston is uh, one of the artists that we've been working with for the playbooks. Um, if people have seen the, um, like the seeker whale, uh, which I know people love. Um, so that, that was Taylor. Um, and we, we have this idea that because it's a game about exploring and about um, creating your own world, we thought what better way to convey that than like, you know, have sort of that, like those naturalist sketches of things that like maybe a character is discovering as they're going throughout this world. And we, we just love that style. Yeah. Whenever I think, whenever I think about that and just thinking about this sentiment, I'm just envisioning like this almost like the old school Darwinian drawings mm -hmm. yes. and stuff. Cause, cause what, what happened basically is, you know, the art process, right? You know, you get sketches and then um, you go back and forth on those and then you get, you know, color illustrations and all that. And there's that whole process, but we saw those sketches and they just stuck in our minds, you know? Um, and we just, we loved that style so much. Um, and uh, Taylor's actually going to be the one doing the, um, doing the playbook art. And for right now, because not a lot of people or not as many people have color printers, we're focusing on black and white art for the playbooks for now, um, just so that they look great in black and white when you print them out. But yeah, like they're they're fantastic. We've we've seen I think eight of the ten of them at this point when we're recording, and just dang, like they're really good. But uh, but yeah, so that's the uh, that's the standard uh, forty dollar edition where you get the the hardcover. Then there's a tier that we're really excited about, and that's the the eighty dollar tier. And with that one, basically what we do is you get a copy of the book for yourself, but uh, what we will do is we will send another copy to someone that you'd like to donate it to. It can be a person, it can be a school group, it can be a library. My brother actually runs a gaming club um, at his, his middle school where he works. Uh, and so like seeing that or like, you know, we've got friends who do homeschooling and I'm sure would love to have something like that for the homeschooling groups to be able to do like a, a gaming day. And the one of the things that was really cool about running this game, literally the first dozen sessions I ran, I learned something new about the ocean because everybody's got that like one weird fact that they remember about, you know, something that they saw or some weird shrimp or like, you know, something um, that they've heard of that's really cool. And so like you end up learning from the people around you and, you know, one of the secret mini goals of the game, right, um, is to sort of foster that education and love of the ocean. And so we we're really excited about the idea that we can get these books into the hands of of educators, librarians um, and and whoever else. I think that's one of the most exciting things to me, just hearing you say that, because just getting these games out here, and we are also, so we we homeschool our kids, and I'm mm -hmm. pretty sure that Rich does as well. He's yeah. pretty um, mm -hmm. vocal about that on Twitter. And so I just think that's really cool that you guys have thought about this. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And then, like, once you get to the $110 tier, so that's the sort of... Um, that's the one I think that ends up being the best value, right? So we are doing a Kickstarter exclusive edition um, at, at that level. And basically, you're getting three books. So you're getting the Kickstarter exclusive edition, which is going to have like this really cool blue cover. When we were working with the, uh, the printing agent, 
she sent us some some pictures of some books that she uh you know had previously done and one of them like we just looked at it and we're like that that's that's the book like it that's perfect um and so it's it's going to be this really cool blue color um with silver foil and and we're looking at doing like a, a purple ribbon um because the cover art for the standard edition uh with Devin's artwork has kind of like a cool purple color in it um and so it'll it'll look good together uh sitting on the shelf next to each other and that here's the thing so you're getting three books right so like i said with each tier you're getting everything below so not only are you getting the exclusive edition in blue with the ribbon, you're going to get the um, the standard edition donated, right? Like the $8 tier. But we're also going to include a standard edition of the book, right? Because that way, like, you don't have to use your special edition when you're there at the table. You can kind of keep it uh, on the shelf. You can, you know, do whatever you want with it. You could even give it to a friend, right? But we, we wanted to make sure that, like, it, here's the other thing. When we were talking about doing this, I'm like, wow, that's a really cool blue cover and the foil and everything. But part of me was like, but Devin's art is amazing. And like, I, I felt really bad about it. And I was sitting there thinking about it. And I'm like, what do we do? Right. Because I don't want to like, I don't want to force people to choose between Devin's rad art and the exclusive edition. And it was like, well, wait a second wait a second, you know, why not both? And, you know, we had that moment of like, well, yeah, that makes sense. And so clarity. Yeah, I I think that's awesome. Because that's actually one of the reasons I actually don't back Kickstarter exclusive RPGs, Mm. typically, because they have that other cover It's really nice and everything. But I typically (laughs) I like because I like all of my books to just look very similar Mm. and stuff. So having the cover, and just giving that just that being an option is really neat. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, like we were talking about it, um, about the different tiers and everything. And I think that's, that's why I'm so excited about it is because it's like, it, it works on so many levels, right? Cause you're, you're getting the exclusive edition, which is something that like, I, I love that kind of stuff. You know, it's like the, Ooh, you know, I, I, I'm one of those people who like has the exclusive thing, you know, I, I like that. Um, and it just looks nice. But the donation part is something that's really important to us, right? We wanted to make sure to include that. And again, that part of me that was like, like, I want people to see Devin's art and I don't want to feel bad about that. So I, you know, like we ran the numbers and we're like, okay, we can do this. So we are, you know, <laughs> I think that's super cool. Yeah. And then, um, so shipping, I know is, is a big question for things. Um, so domestic shipping, um, we're looking at, subsidizing that uh i think right now it's five bucks that we're looking at for uh within the u.s and international shipping international shipping is super expensive um anybody who's who's overseas and has has tried to get stuff before knows that so what we're doing is we are not charging the full amount that it's going to do that because let's face it if you're buying a 40 dollar book you don't want to add $25 in shipping on top of that or $30 in shipping on top of that easily. Yeah. So what we're doing is we are subsidizing that partially. And so it won't be the full 30 bucks. Um, I think it's either going to be 10 or 15. Um, we haven't a hundred percent decided on that, but we, we want to make sure that we can make it affordable to get it to people. And, you know, like we are just committing to that being built into the cost of the project. You know, and that's, that's going to be in the risks and challenges section, you know, but like, it's, we, we don't want to punish people for wanting our book overseas, you know, 
And I think that's, I, I think it's very kind of you all to do that. <laughs> and I think it's just a, I think that may just open up a different audience than yeah, uh, you I may mean, typically have. We're like, I don't know, the, I've backed a couple of Kickstarters, um, from overseas and like, like Good Society is a great example, right? They're out of Australia and, for me, the shipping cost wasn't a huge issue, but I know that for a lot of people it can be. Um, and so we, you know, we, we wanted to, to make it easy for people to get the game if they want it. So that's, that's the, the sort of the base tiers. We also have some higher level tiers, like I said, where, um, you'll be able to contribute some ideas for character art or cityscape art. And for a lot of the higher level backers, I'm actually going to do some origami right um i don't what? know exactly yeah i don't know exactly uh what i am going to fold but uh but it'll be something fun that we can just kind of slip into the into the the books and oh, that's uh, that's awesome yeah because i'm like cool little piece of rich in there or rich richard yeah. yeah um i learned my lesson though uh when i was i think in college i had a friend who was a marine biologist she was a dolphin trainer at SeaWorld here in san diego and was like, oh, hey, you do origami, right? And I'm like, sure. And she was like, hey, so we're doing a wedding and we have 150 people coming. And do you want to fold some dolphins? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Oh, no. I got to the point where I could basically fold one in my sleep. Oh, that's all right. We're all getting dolphins with this Kickstarter, <laughs> folks. I, I have sworn off of them. Uh, never again will I will I commit to do 150. And so I wisely picked the tiers that are limited in number to do that for. You heard it here <laughs> first, folks. It's super exclusive. You know, <laughs> get on this quickly because they will be gone. Mm -hmm. um, and we're we're also doing um, for the higher level tiers. You'll get a seat in a game run by one of the three of us. Um, so I know there are definitely people who would be interested in, you know, playing a game with Rich or or Taylor or or maybe me. They would. <laughs> and uh, and we want to make sure to to get people that opportunity if they want to, because um, you know it's it's fun and like we know that the GM changes the game a lot, right? Um, because Taylor and Rich and I all have like very different styles and they all end up being great games, but they're very different. It's just fun. You know, like we want to play with people who are excited to play our game, you know, like it, it's everybody wins. Yeah. I think that's a testament. <laughs> everybody knows if, if somebody is excited to play their game that they design, it's probably going to be a good game. So I'm sure I'm excited <laughs> to check out the Kickstarter and I'm sure that everyone else is too. So I think with that, we will be seeing Descent to Midnight February 15th Yep, on Kickstarter. You all do not want to miss this one <laughs> at all, okay? Just to say that you are a backer of Descent to Midnight, okay? So before we close out, I have one last question for you, okay? Oh, dear. Can I play Street Sharks in Descent to Midnight? Absolutely. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> all right. So... I will say that I think it was Gen Con this year, one of the very earliest playbooks. So we started out with four, we ended up with 10. One of the original four started out as the living weapon, 
right which was the sort of like the like that plant creature i was describing earlier of like okay you were engineered for violence or whatever and you're sort of like moving away from that now um but the the art that we had on that playbook uh basically for the whole run i think has been a four-armed shark so it's like a shark with big old buff arms um which which sounds silly but it's it's so evocative right and it, it sets such a tone um if you want to go with that and um one of us was running a game. I don't think it was my game. I think it was Rich's game. Um, and somebody was like, oh, okay, like, I guess this playbook sounds kind of cool. And they picked that playbook without having seen it. They had just heard it described. And they started describing their character. It's like, well, I'm going to be like a shark with like big old buff arms. And then they they got the playbook. And that was the art on the playbook. And they're like, what? Oh, this game is for me. Yeah, so I mean, it would be underwater street sharks, but you know, hey, hey like more power to you. That's right. Um, <laughs> Absolutely, that's so so fantastic. All right, Richard, it has been an absolute blast having you on. So before we go, let let the people know where can where can we find you? Okay, so for me personally, I am at r k r e u t z l a n dry that's r kreutz landry i am literally one of only two people on the planet with that last name so if you google me you will find me hopefully nothing embarrassing and uh and of course you can find descent in the midnight at at dim rpg on twitter uh or you can just look up descent in the midnight on facebook and the website yes descent in the midnight.com you know it's like very you do. simple very simple. Yep. All those links will be in the show notes. And as always, you can follow me at BezcarTom on Twitter. And Richard, thank you so much for, for joining us tonight. And don't forget, February 15th, check out Descent into Midnight. And don't forget, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks, everyone. See you, everybody. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show, and if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook or join our Discord where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time.
The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.